Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. This episode, we are joined by a returning guest co-pilot, Patreon legend, and R4 punk guy, Dan Houston. Dan, we're doing this again. Welcome back. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for letting me come back again to talk about a band that I love. All right, let's do this thing. So on this episode, we're going to review Husker Du's 1985 album, Flip Your Wig. Dan, where do you come in with Husker Du and this album in particular? Um, so I became aware of Husker Du in, in the spring of 1986. I, I, I think I've said this before on the pod. Um, I, I grew up overseas when I was in middle school, and my, my sister brought Rolling Stone home. from. She went to school in, in Boston, and she brought home you know, a Rolling Stone. And I would spend the next four or five months reading every single page back to front because, you know, there was no Internet and I was in, the, you know, Saudi Arabia. So anyway, I made my way after I, you know, went through all the usual hard rock and even the articles of Madonna. I, I got into a little blurb about this band from Minneapolis named Who's Du. Um, it was just a kind of a, a promo thing about an upcoming album. So I was aware that they were around and that they were a rock band that wasn't metal, which was something that, you know, kind of threw me for a loop at that point in my life. Fast forward to 1988 in the summer, we had moved back to the States and a friend of mine joined a punk band and I was roadieing and hanging out with them and tagging along to shows. And sometimes we would be at shows where eight, nine punk bands played and it would go until like, you know, very well into the evening, like midnight like starting at 2 p.m. going to midnight. Anyway, I got home really late and I turned on 120 minutes on MTV. This was a Sunday night and they had kind of a retrospective about Husker Du. I guess they had broken up in January, but this was, they were replaying it for some reason. I assumed it was just going to be some kind of low key REM type of retrospective about them. Wrong. The very mm-hmm. first thing that they that when they talked to Bob Mould, he says, "Well, when we first came out to the West Coast, they said we were the fastest band on earth." And I was like, "What? Fastest band on earth?" And then they cut immediately to footage of 1981, a Husker Du show somewhere with people slam dancing and going bananas. And I was this was exactly like the show I had just been at. So I I thought, wow, I, I really had no idea they were a punk band at all. I thought, you know, so. I took whatever money I had and went to Rasputin Records in Concord, California, and I picked up a copy of Candy Apple Gray. Now, it's not the best Husker Du album, but it was a good introduction. I liked what I heard, but I wasn't crazy about them. Then the next summer, we moved to Georgia, and I was, by this point, fully punk rock. I was desperate for anything that was not mainstream music. Um, so I scoured all of the tape and record stores in town where I lived. And luckily one day at, in Turtles Music in Augusta, Georgia, I saw a cassette tape for Husker Du Flip Your Wig. I immediately bought it and it became the soundtrack for the year 1989 for me. So that is my history with Husker Du and where I come in with them on this album. Awesome. Husker Du is one of those bands that I got into through my handy-dandy Rolling Stone record guidebook. Rolling Stone, there's the same connection. I vaguely knew who they were, and that really only means that I had heard of the name Husker Du. I knew nothing about the band, and I never heard a note of their music. I even remember the game that they took the name from. (laughs) But 
Prior to reading their entry in the guide, I didn't know this band at all. But their catalog was highly rated, and through the guide, I had good luck discovering bands like The Replacements and The Velvet Underground, so I decided to just give them a try out of the blue and see what I thought. And this was the late 90s, as the grunge movement was winding down, and I was looking for something else to get into. So I first got the highest rated album according to the guide on CD, which was Warehouse Songs and Stories, their last album. And I didn't love it on first listen. I think mostly because I didn't care for Bob Mould and Grant Hart's voices. And I'm a lyric guy and the vocals seemed to be like pushed back in the mix. Like it was hard for me to understand what they were singing. But I kept listening and the words began to come through and make more sense to me. And I appreciated the hard rocking sound. I could connect the dots from Husker Du to other bands I really liked. So I quickly caught on to what the band was doing and I grew to love the album. And from there, I just worked my way back through the catalog, which was easy to do. There's only six studio albums. And I don't remember exactly when I got Flip Your Wig, but I do know that by the time I did, I was already pretty much a fan of this band. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, swiped straight from Wikipedia. Flip Your Wig is the fourth studio album by American rock band Husker Du, released in September 1985 on SST Records. It was produced by Bob Mould and Grant Hart, and was recorded from March to June 1985 at Nicolette Studios, Minneapolis, Minnesota. It reached number one on the UK indie chart, and has no certifications for albums sold. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Bob Mould on guitar, bass, piano, lead and background vocals and percussion, Greg Norton on bass, Grant Hart on drums, lead and background vocals, vibraphone, slide whistle, and percussion. Okay, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Starting things off is the title track, Flip Your Wig, written by Bob Mould. Dan, what do you think? The first thing I thought when I first heard this is this is not hardcore, which initially I was not happy about, but it's very powerful pop rock with a punk influence. The chord sequence is essentially a folk music pattern that I know. G to F sharp, C, B, D. It's basically for people who play guitar, walking a G to a D. Um, It's very common in folk music. The drums at the time this was recorded, were state-of-the-art production. Unfortunately, in today's standards, it sounds very dated to the 80s. But if you put it in context, they sound great. The guitar is loud. I think there's at least three or four tracks all kind of layered on top of each other. Um, And it is much more produced than the previous sound that they had, which was very much live. And, And part of the reason this is is because SST's resident producer, Spot, who unfortunately just passed away, rest in peace, was barred from the proceedings. They were ready to produce this themselves. Previously on their on their other album before this, New Day Rising, Spot was forced on them to be a their producer. And 
all he did is he came and he moved the console two inches and then did a bunch of stuff that they didn't like. So you can tell that Spot is not involved in this. It sounds very different from other SST records. The guitar, again, is the way they were recorded, which goes straight into the board through an effects pedal, um, which is very strange for a rock band, but it works. Bob has a very distinctive guitar sound that is only, he's one of the few people that when you hear his guitar, you know it's him. Grant finally achieves overall his 60s pop drum sound that he's been going for ages. Solid bass from Greg um, Norton. You know, even though he has previously kind of been pushed to the side, he used to be a writer and also be a, a singer. I mean, he's not in this on this album anymore. He is uh, settling into the role of a bass player. I think that this is a band unleashed from their constraints. Bob and Grant trade vocals on the verses, something that they had done and had been a trademark in the past. This is going to be the last album where this happens. The lyrics deal with the increasing popularity in the Twin Cities and nationally that the band's experiencing. At this point, locally, they were second to Prince. Yes, that Prince. You can look on YouTube and there's a Minneapolis Music Award ceremony. Husker Du is like walking by the time and and people in Prince's orbit and picking up awards. They were that big. Uh, Maybe the replacements were a little bit less big than them. Anyway, the lyrics deal with how suddenly everybody wants to be their friend, about how it says that, that their grandma sees them in the weekender. Um, is asking questions, you know, people who have not paid attention to them for years and, and how to deal with that. Overall, this is an amazing opening track and really sets the tone for the album. Wow, you really said all there is to be said. But uh, this kicks off with a heavily distorted Bob Mould riff and then Greg Norton matches the riff on bass. And then when Grant Hart's drums kick in, it takes off into a fast, I would say like, alternative rocker that hums along with balls and the sound is like a combination of punk rock energy with pop structures and songwriting our two primary songwriters in this band are mould and heart and they also share lead vocals on this one you pointed that out but they're kind of pushed back in the mix especially you really got to wear headphones to make out what they're singing for me anyway when i'm not wearing headphones it just kind of sounds like a, a big wall of noise with some like voices in the background but when you wear headphones you can hear what they're singing a lot better and what's kind of funny is they made an effort to make the vocals more prominent on this <laughs> yep. album which is kind of funny mold is the primary vocalist on this one and he has like the deeper rougher voice when the band first started they were basically a hardcore punk band and he would just yell the vocals but you know by this time though they were growing as songwriters and put more effort into the vocals like i said despite the fact that the band is a three-piece there are guitar overdubs including a nice sloppy solo i think you mentioned that too and i gotta mention this now so i don't keep repeating the drums sound super thin and echoey you said this, it's very 80s for the time. We were like, this sounds cool. Now it just sounds clicky and, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like the way drums are recorded today for sure. But this was kind of a trend with alternative rock acts at the time. So, I mean, that's what you got with the drums. So they don't they don't bother me at all. They just, they just make me go, uh, yeah, they're a little thin. The lyrics seem to touch on the fact that the bander was making headway and gaining popularity. His friends and even grandma's freaking out over the attention, and they're not prepared for it. And boy, would that become a thing in the fucking 90s with the bands that this band influenced. This is a continuation of the progression and evolution of Husker Du, and I like the new direction. 
The next track is Every Everything, written by Grant Hart. How about this, Dan? This is turns out to be somewhat of a trademark song for Grant as, as going forward from here. It's pure 60s garage rock. Vocals start melodically and then progress to shouting and then screaming. Um, they're great backing vocals from Bob. Um, also a really good solo. He can shred with the best of them when he wants to. Good counter melodies from the bass. The lyrics are about sex, desire, delivered with peak intensity you know, again, the insane hardcore screaming at the ends. Um, this actually ended up being the title of the documentary about Grant's life. Kind of encapsulates kind of his role in the band, whereas Bob is much more of a melodic tunesmith. Grant at times really unleashes the punk rock intensity with the screaming, even though his songs also have a very 60s garage band vibe to them. This is a good follow-up to the opener. Yeah, this has a faster tempo, and the feel is loose and ramshackle. It sounds a little bit more like earlier Husker Du with the blaring guitars, the bass keeping up with the riffs, and the propulsive drumming. The lead guitar sounds like an ugly siren, and it's even panned a little bit back and forth. Ooh, production techniques. Hart is the lead vocalist, and typically he has the more clear, less harsh, dare I say, more conventional voice. But on this one, he's shouting out the vocals and making a liar out of me. The lyrics to me seem to be about possessive love, where you are consumed with the other person and you want to know and keep everything about them. Like this says in the song, every heartbeat, every movement, every moment, every sigh. It's not quite two minutes, and it's just basically a blast of energy. The following track is Makes No Sense At All. Written by Bob Mould. You like this one, Dan? Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite Husker Du songs of all time. It's another folk-inspired open chord with distortion power pop manifesto. Um, a lot of times Bob would tune his high E string down to D um, to give a much more fuller sound. I think that he, that's something he picked up from the birds and possibly Pete Townsend when you do those ringing chords on a Rickenbacker, except this time it's through an Ibanez flying V processed through a heavy distortion pedal. Super solid Grant Hart drumming. Um, this like almost like Keith Moon, but with more control. Amazing harmony backups um, and great counter melodies on the bass. Again, way to go, Greg. Um, the lyrics to me are a direct attack on the DIY punk scene that Husker Du 
is currently undergoing a less than amicable divorce from. Um, they have been championed early on by punk fanzine Maximum Rock and Roll. It's a magazine that came out of a radio show in the early 80s um, that was run by former 60s radical Tim Johannan. At this time, Husker du was turning away from punk and unbeknownst to a lot of people were being courted by a major label. Um, the lyrics attack the scene police, that, and Husker's seen this as the scene police, telling them that they need to follow what everyone else is doing. And Husker du and Bob in particular don't understand why they're worried about what they're doing. That they, they didn't sign off on any of this to begin with. Um, they're not sure why people are yelling at them. Just let us do our own thing and leave us alone. This is a pure example of who's going to do in this period. I will say backed on the single 45 version of this was a cover of Love Is All Around, which was the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. <laughs> Anybody who has it should go pick that up and listen to it. It's a really great 45. This one really emphasizes the pop hooks planted inside the noise and makes me think of early R.E.M. if Peter Buck played heavily distorted instead of jangling guitar. To me, this shows how this kind of thing should be done. And unfortunately, the alt-rock and pop-punk bands that rose up in the wake of the Hooskers smoothed over all the edges and neutered the music's impact. Mould is singing with melody. The makes no sense at all refrain is catchy, and Hart's drums keep the guitars and bass on track and on point. You did a great job with those lyrics. I'm not even going to say what I thought they were about. I think you nailed it, Dan, so I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> this is one of Husker Du's better-known tracks. Bob Mould still plays it to this day, and it was the only single from the album that reached number two on the UK Indie Chart. The next track is Hate Paper Doll, written by Bob Mould. What do you think of this, Dan? It almost has a country shuffle feel. I've always thought great tag team vocals again and a chorus and a short solo again that shows Bob kind of not only has the chops as a songwriter, but he's also a great guitarist. There's a nice bouncy bass. Again, that real open chord jangly sound, but with distortion. Lyrics, again, about people motivated by their own personal hatred and and how this affects Bob. Another really, really strong song. And you can see the stylistic shifts that they're attempting. I mean, this is not something that they would have tried early on. So they're kind of branching out in different unexpected ways. I, I really like this song. This is a noisy pop tune with a bouncy shuffle rhythm and the guitar washing over on the top. Hart adds some light syncopation and quick fills to the beat, and Norton's bass can be clearly heard bopping around under there. Vocally, this is built around the title refrain, Hey, paper doll. And I don't have a clue what these lyrics are saying, if they're saying <laughs> anything, so whoopee! It's super <laughs> short, no guitar solo, really. It's not a standout to me, but it doesn't suck. I like it. 
The following track is Green Eyes, written by Grant Hart. Dan, hit me. This is, you know, again, new, a slow 60s pop-inspired ballad. Grant can really sing when he wants to, and Bob can actually harmonize. Surprise. Solid drum and bass. It's very 60s, and I think this is one of the ingredients that a lot of people missed about Husker Du, as much as they were influenced by what was happening by, like, the DOAs and the Black Flags. They were also very influenced by the Who by Donovan, by 60s garage bands like the Rascals. Um, That's what they came up on, and you can hear it. The lyrics, it's a love song to somebody. You know, it's pretty transparent. There's not any hitting meetings here. It's a great pop song. Cymbal washes, strum distorted chords, and long bass chords make up the intro. And then the song proper kicks in with one guitar part continuing the constant chug and the other part playing long, sustained chords. The drums are kept simple, and Norton actually moves his bass line a little and makes it stand out. This is a Grant Hart song, and he sings it in a measured, quiet tone. And lyrically, it's about a person with blue-green eyes that the narrator feels lucky to be with. There's a million other guys they could be with, and the gender of the person isn't specified, and that's important. Hart was bisexual, and Mould is gay, so the lyrics can be applied to anyone you want it to be. It's actually a nice little love song, done up in the Husker Du style. Just to to tag on to that, um, at this point, I think for historical context... Bob and Grant were out to the makers and shakers of the scene, but not the normal show-going knuckleheads. Um, Hardcore particularly was extremely homophobic during this time period. And, you know, it's really uh, when you know that the people that are slam dancing to the music that you're you're writing are are idiots, it kind (laughs) of cuts different when you listen to these songs. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's almost like in your face, fuckers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) The next track is Divide and Conquer, written by Bob Mould. Dan, let's have it. All right. The first appearance of something resembling hardcore, Grant Let's Loose, Keith Moon type fills. I know I keep saying that over and over again, but I think that's where he's getting a lot of this from. Bob gets political for the first time and unleashes his voice. This is almost an 80s protest song with 60s chords set to a hard hardcore beat. Almost prophetic, um, singing about surveillance. Um, really great lyrics, Big Bird on All the Walls. Muzak plays in all the halls. Empires see the rise and fall. They divide and conquer. 
that's something that stuck with me my whole life. This is a song in their set where the brain dead punks like me would go crazy um, because it was finally something fast. A great tag team vocal on the on the chorus or the I don't know if it's the chorus, but the you know the the ride out with both of them singing la 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 together and it sounds great. This is Husker Du at their peak form as a band, and this is kind of a watermark that they will never reach again because of the internal rivalries over who's controlling the band. This is one of the last instances you're going to see of them performing this kind of stuff as a unit. Yeah, it's basically three chords played over and over with a little lead lick over the top that makes it into an interesting riff. The rhythm section keeps it fast and moving and heart throws in fills all over the place to emphasize the sense of propulsion. Keith Moon asked, you said that. Mold is barking out the vocals old school style, and the lyrics are basically about how people are separated into groups, whether through neighborhoods, area codes, and zip codes, Big Brother, the police state. He even mentions linking up computers a la the internet. Still relevant lyrics today. I chuckle at the na-na-nas and the la-la-las at the end of the track, and yeah, I dig this one. The following track is Games, written by Bob Mould. think this is bob setting the template for essentially what would be alternative rock in the in the 90s it's almost like a ballad but driving a little bit more it's got a killer chorus with great open chord interplay um lyrically bob hits it out of the park um i know i i keep repeating his lyrics but to me he's one of the greatest underrated lyricists you know i've ever heard Memories come to reinforce the things I have done for better or worse. Those are lyrics that have stayed with me again forever. And it's really got the the post chorus is so powerful with the incredible octave chords going into this drum beat where Grant kind of just keeps a solid beat by himself. This, as much as anything else, foreshadows what Bob's going to do in his solo career. Um, he does have a couple detours into into acoustic music, but Overall, this is, you can see the map that he's going to take over the next 30 plus years. The verses have stuttering riffs and tons of fluid drum fills, while the chorus sections elongate the music into longer chords along with arpeggiated chords that weave through them over a straight beat. I think you mentioned interplay. That jagged to smooth quality is also reflected in the vocals, with Mould singing in a choppy style in the verses and more melodically in the choruses, with some nice backing vocals lurking below the surface. I interpret the lyrics to mean that the narrator used to be cool and accepted with a lot of friends, but he wasn't being true to himself. But once he started showing the real person he truly is, he was kind of rejected and he now lives a lonely existence playing the fool. He reflects that we all play these roles and games in this thing we call life. Another catchy chorus for the Huskers and another winner for me. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Find Me, written by Bob Mould. Baby, you 
How about this one, Dan? This is probably one of my least favorite songs on the album. Um, granted, this is one of my favorite, I mean, spoiler, one of my one of my favorite albums. But this is a slow dirge with mumbly vocals, lots of layered guitars. Again, very solid bass. It sounds like some layered keyboard maybe somewhere in there. Um, what makes the song for me is is the solo. It's really kind of minimalistic, but it's almost a song inside of a song, and it's just short enough and to the point where I don't get bored. Great song. It's not my favorite, but it's extremely solid. Um, thumbs up. Now we get an amped up shuffle groove with the noisy guitars and the chords and vocals going up and down, kind of swinging with the beat. But instead of a proper chorus, we get this spaced out, strummed and droning instrumental section where there are backing vocals with eerie echo effects slathered all over them that kind of give the tune a dark, foreboding vibe. It's cool as fuck. Mold growls out the vocals and plays a solo spot that kind of apes the vocal melody in the verses that something like Kurt Cobain would make a career out of. And the lyrics are pretty obscure for me. I don't know if he's describing a dream or a sense of isolation, but there's some nice imagery. The boats inside of waterfalls, flaming oceans, a thousand million screaming voices, preachers in the forest and sirens in the sky. I don't know what it all means, but I do know that I am here for it. I think I, I, I really dig this. I think I like this one more than you, Dan. The next track is The Baby Song, written by Grant Hart. Dan, what the fuck do you make of this? It's a goofy song that apparently he wrote for his kid who had just been born. Um, you know, it's a slide whistle and it's him screwing around. It's not even really a song. It's a bridge between one song and the next. I know a lot of criticism of this album is that this is this ruins it somehow. I don't think so. This is just, you know, I mean, to me, this is like the small faces with that weird guy talking backwards. <laughs> You know, I don't know on, on some of the records, just nonsense that, you know, I'm here for it. It, it. It's just part of the journey of the album. So, you know, is it a good song? No. Does it offend me? No. This is all Grant Hart on a slide whistle and vibraphone. And like you said, it was supposedly done to honor his newborn son. It basically sounds like a terrible kitty tune. I guess you got to call it an instrumental and a holy shitballs Batman is this low hanging fruit, but this is without question Aaron's stinky stinker. <laughs> the following track is flexible flyer written by Grant Hart. Dan, what do you say? 
Um, you know, again, Grant goes back to the well of trippy 60s inspired pop. You know, great vocals and harmonies with a great solo, solid bass, keeping everything tight. Really just a great pop song. I, I It reminds me of something maybe like the, a modern version of something that zombies might have done. This is a solid pop song that shows Grant is a very strong pop writer. This one kind of lopes along on a syncopated shuffle beat with Norton's bopping bass line getting decent up and down movement and mold wanging away on the chords and once again delivering a solo aping the verse melody. Hart sings with a hint of nostalgia and the lyrics seem like another nod to his son as he uses the imagery of sliding on a flexible flyer sled to tell him to always keep the youthful spirit in his heart. Even when he grows up and gets a job and lives an adult life, as long as he keeps the flame of being young and his heart burning, you'll grow as a person instead of just growing old and becoming miserable. I've always dug this one. I I really enjoy the sentiment. The next track is Private Plane. Written by Bob Mould. Dan, let's have it. This is a, a really great song, a great melody and hook. The band is firing on all cylinders. Um, I'm pretty sure the lyrics are about drugs. Maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like they're about drugs. The guitar soul is, is fucking awesome. This is how to play lead without wanking off for no reason. Perfect. Um, the song then shifts into classic territory. The outro riff is one of the greatest rock riffs in rock and roll history, combined with amazing classic mold vocals. Um, This is really a great song, and it's a song that gets better as it goes. I love this song. I I, I can't say enough good things about this. This was when I was, I remember one, (laughs) this is going to be ridiculous. I remember I had been studying for a test that I knew I was going to fail. I put this on, and I felt better about the fact I was going to fail it. (laughs) I dig the main riff. It catches the ear and leads to yet another fast rocker with distinct verse, pre-chorus, and chorus sections. The pre-chorus amps up the tension with shorter clipped chords and shouted vocals, and then it's released in the sing-along chorus. This song even has a jangling, noisy solo and a new outro riff that takes us out with oh-oh-oh vocals, and it's just choice. To me, the lyrics are about freeing your imagination to achieve some of the things you want to do in life. So so break the ball and chain of your mind and don't let yourself be constricted by conventional thinking. I could be wrong. Maybe it's about drugs. I don't know. But it's another great track. The following track is Keep Hanging On, written by Grant Hart.
Dan the man. Let's do it. All right. I know I'm going to sound like I, you know, I'm overly praising this album, but I really don't don't think I am. Simply put, this is one of the best songs ever written about sex, desire, and love. It's three chords over and over, and it works. Grant's vocals are so intense, personal, and heartfelt. It starts out with, you know, singing, and then Im- immediately kind of transitions into a higher, more desperate, and more desperate until he's screaming and wailing. It kind of generates the whole feeling of being in love about with somebody so much that you can't stand it. Asking his lover to to not give up, to keep hanging on. The solo is one of the most expressive guitar leads I've ever heard. And uh, uh, aside here, if anybody, this is a great version, and I'm not taking anything away from this, but there's a version on the Living End live LP that is just insane. The the solo is so great. It's kind of like a a compliment to this. It's not it's not any better or any worse. They're both great. So this is simple yet complex. I can't say too many more great things about this. I really, really love this song. This is Grant Hart's crowning moment as a songwriter. Um, and, you know, kind of to speak to the uh, dynamics of the band, Bob plays bass on this, which you would think, why is he playing bass on this? Um, it might be because he's getting tired of the bass player and moving towards a solo career. But otherwise, amazing song. I fucking love it. Well, Great job, Bob Mould. His bass is pushed up front in the mix on this track. Now it makes sense because Bob played it. And it (laughs) drives the tune along with Hart's thumping kick drum. And Mould kind of hangs back playing arpeggios on the guitar and delivers a noise wash of a solo. Hart does his best Bob Mould impression as he screams and shouts the vocals. His voice is cracking all over the fucking place. Though I do like to keep hanging on backing vocals at the end of the track. I interpret the message in the lyrics to be about holding on to a long-term relationship and doing what it takes to make it work. There's lots of obscure imagery, like a cat walking to the window, the roof opening up to the sun, and crows flying in parallel lines. But it all seems to be in service to grabbing on to the relationship and not letting go. This is a great track. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but it's a great track. The penultimate track is The Wit and the Wisdom, written by Bob Mould. have it so just full disclosure in 1989 i would often skip these last two tracks um i don't know if i was ready for them then um it was just not my thing at that point you know these slow discordant dirges were a staple of sst bands at this point following the example of black flag who sometime around 1982 83 decided they were going to slow their music down to fuck with their fans Mm -hmm. and try new stuff. Um, A lot of times this would cause their fans to physically attack them, believe it or not. Their whole kind of clique, which Husker Du was part of, all were kind of on the same wavelength that hardcore is kind of like losing it and we need to to try something else. Um, So a lot of these albums have these songs where it's just sometimes live, 
depending on what drugs they were on, this could go <laughs> like 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, wow. So be thankful it's so short. Um, I have grown to like this as part of the LP and, re- and recognize why they did it. Um, in that context, I don't skip it anymore, but it's definitely not one of my favorite tracks. So the album closes on two instrumentals, and here's the first and longer one. The wit part is an ascending and descending chord progression that's followed by the bass over a medium-paced kick drum bump and clanging dings off the ride cymbal bell. Then the wisdom part is a slower up-and-down progression that gains speed as it goes and basically features a straight-up guitar noise solo over the top. There are also wordless vocals in both sections way back in the mix. It doesn't have any real bearing on this music at all. And I used to not like this track, too. But it's grown on me, though I don't consider it essential. I'm kind of with you on that, Dan. And that brings us to the final track, Don't Know Yet, written by Bob Mould. this last one dan in 2023 i love this this is right up my alley trippy backward guitar and drums i think it's a great way to end the lp now it's kind of a nice way to come down after the intensity of the last couple songs they tried something like this with less success on zen arcade Um, i think they finally figured it out here cool kind of weird piano stuff in the background i really like this song when i was when i was listening to this album again i listened to this track like an extra two times just because I was so into it. You know, very, very ballsy for them to put this on a record in 1985, specifically with their fan base, and a great kind of way to say goodbye to the whole SST experience and move forward. Over a syncopated drum beat, we get a short backwards guitar and piano piece that actually sounds cool and cohesive. And it's peppered with backwards drums as well to give the whole tune an eerie vibe. Yet somehow it comes across as a soothing closer to the record. You even mentioned that, Dan. I dig this. I really dig it. Now the track by track is finished, we'll move on into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a slide whistle instrumental. Dan, give us your final thoughts on Flip Your Wig. Okay, so by late 1985, Husker Du had recorded a double LP, Zen Arcade, New Day Rising, and Flip Your Wig in the space of a year. On tour for both Zen and New Day Rising, they would show up to their college towns or wherever they were playing, and despite getting favorable reviews in major magazines like Rolling Stone, The Village Voice, etc., Husker Du were unable to find their records in the stores of the cities that they were playing. So what would happen is they would sell all the records they have on tour with them, and then there would be no product for them where they were going to. When you're getting the kind of publicity that you're getting when you know the Village Voice profiles you and you have no product to sell, um, obviously that leaves you somewhat upset. Their label SST was still run as sort of a, sort of a collective, 
initially they would put a band's record out and then they would take the proceeds and put the next band that they were going to put its record out. They weren't prepared for a band like Husker Du to sell as many records as they do initially out of the gate and sell out their initial pressing right away. There were arguments about whether they should even repress Zen Arcade, if you believe it or not. Um, This happened not only with that, but with the next record they have as well. Obviously, they were going to repress it, but they wanted to do it on their own schedule. That doesn't help a band that's on tour. So Husker is looking for a label that can keep their records in press while they're on the road. And in this context, they began to listen to major label offers. Warner Brothers Records, a label at the time that signed very new few artists, had a reputation of being the most artist-friendly. They offered them a deal that gave them complete, com- complete creative control. Warner Brothers actually asked for this LP, which was already in the can. But Husker Du, to their detriment, felt that they owed this record to SST and to not leave them high and dry. On the Flip Your Wig tour, news of them signing to a major label leaked out. And just for my non-punk listeners out there, just try to shift your mind into punk logic. This doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But at this point, um, there was a firestorm of controversy, especially in Europe, about them signing to a major label. People would argue with Bob after the shows about how it was unethical for them to be a band on a major label. This all culminated in the February 1986 issue of Maximum Rock and Roll, where Bob actually took it upon himself to write a record attempting to justify their jump to a major label. Unfortunately, the magazine set him up and filed it under a column called titled What the Fuck? In the follow-up issue in March, staff members Ruth Schwartz and Tim Yohannan wrote a second equally dismissive column attacking Husker Du as sellouts. So this is the atmosphere that this album was recorded in. No one should be surprised that Husker Du had commercial aspirations. From the earliest days, they have been experimenting with pop. As relayed in Michael Azarod's book, Our Band Could Be Your Life, Discord Records label owner and minor threat vocalist Ian Mackay got an early Husker Du single and was disappointed that it wasn't fast punk. He called Mould and asked him what was going on, and Mould replied, Hey man, we got to get on the radio somehow. Flip Your Wig is the culmination of every Husker Du album up to this point. Even with Greg pushed to the side creatively, it is still very much a band LP. Members complement each other and reach a creative height that I don't think they ever reached again. This is an impressive record to record, specifically in, you know, in the in the circumstances that this is recorded in, where people were pointing fingers all over the place at them. Um, I think this is reflected in their lyrics. To me, this is a very personal record. I know this is an apocryphal Lester Bangs quote where he says, music chooses you. You don't choose it. This record chose me. In 1989, I listened to this over and over and over again. And 30 plus years later, I still continue to come back to it. Husker Du would never be this band again as Bob and Grant's desire to control the band became so unsustainable that they couldn't continue. Uh, this is their crowning achievement. I feel as if if this record had been given to the major label in lieu of the follow-up to this album, which is not very strong, Candy Apple Gray, their career might have gone in a different way. Um, that didn't happen, but 
just to speak to the quality of this album, I believe this could have been their big break. This ends a creative three-year period that few bands have ever gone through when you look at the material that they released. This is a five out of five for me. This is one of the greatest albums of all time, and this is the capper of Husker Du's career. Um, The next two albums are uneven or okay, but they're not as good as this. Husker Du came roaring out of Minneapolis in the early 80s as a power trio with a fast and ferocious hardcore punk sound, getting them noticed by punk stalwarts like Black Flag and the Dead Kennedys and landing them on famed indie label SST Records. They put out a live album, Land Speed Record, in 1982, and their first studio album, Everything Falls Apart, in 1983, and by the time of their next EP, Metal Circus, also in 1983, the band was beginning to expand their sound and experiment with more melodic elements to their songwriting, which got them noticed by college radio stations, and Husker Du became college radio darlings. They followed up with the double album Zen Arcade in 1984, and the next album New Day Rising came shortly after in 1985. The band was recording and touring at a breakneck pace, and the strain was showing as tensions began to run high, especially between the twin songwriting pillars of Bob Mould and Grant Hart. Coming just nine months after New Day Rising, Flip Your Wig was the last album the band recorded for SST before jumping to major label Warner Brothers, which Dan explained that whole story very well, which helped open the floodgates for other indie rock acts to get signed to the majors. Flip Your Wig was produced by the band, and though it still has noise rock and punk rock elements to it, The music was heading further and further into power pop territory, and the band's sense of melody is undeniable. I admit I kind of struggled with these guys when I first heard them. I thought the sound was too abrasive, and I didn't care for Moldenheart's voices. But there had to be something in there that grabbed me because I stuck with them. And once I really caught on to how they were smothering the pop hooks with the noise, I started to get it. And suddenly, almost overnight, I became a big fan of this band. Along with groups like R.E.M. and The Replacements, Husker Du is one of the most important and influential indie bands of the 80s. I hear their influence in bands like The Pixies, Therapy, and Nirvana. And for better or worse, they are one of the godfather bands of the alternative rock explosion of the 90s. I do think the Huskers did it better than those groups, though, a lot better, but I'm biased. This album is kind of the middle ground between the old punk Husker Du and the new alternative Husker Du, and as such, this might be the album I give to someone to start off with with this band. It sort of gives you the full picture of them. I give Flip Your Wig a solid four, and this is a solid entry in one solid album catalog. Highly recommended. And from the R4 podcast, Grant Vernon Hart. Rest in peace. Now I'd like to thank Patreon legend and R4 punk guy Dan Houston for coming back once again to bring some punk flavor back to the podcast. Good times, man. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. I really loved it. All right, cool. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. 
If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron, and see ya! Hey, Paper Doll! That combined with the with the with the the vocals. Um, excuse me. Let me rewind there. Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> the outro wreck is one of the. Sorry, fucked up again. Uh, the next issue, they also wrote. Ran, excuse me. The next issue in February, um, they. Excuse me. Rewind that, Aaron. I'm sorry, I fucked up again. <laughs> <laughs> and even relayed in Michael. Sh- Azerod's book, Our Band Can Be Your Life, um, to Minor Threat Discord Records head honcho Ian Mackay. Um, sorry, you want to rewind that again? I fucked up what I was going to say. <laughs> <Yep. laughs>